Avengers. Assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator, and I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills, with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. doing so. We have it in us to be the better man. We already are. It shall be the policy of this nation to regard any nuclear missile launched from Cuba as an attack by the Soviet Union on the United States. They're just kids. No, they were kids. Ready for this? Let's find out. Cost of freedom is always high. No one can foresee precisely what cost it will take. One path we shall never choose. And that is the path of surrender. Listen to me very carefully, my friend. Killing will not bring you peace. Peace was never an option. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into this excellent episode where we begin our X-Month coverage, we want to tell y'all at home how you can get a hold of us on them, thar social media. Or wherever you may be. Exactly. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at... The Marvelists. You can find myself on Facebook at facebook.com slash... The Marvelists. No, no, no. Peter Melnick podcaster, Eddie. Jeez Louise, you you, you just... You what? throw a slash at me, I'm going to say The Marvelists. Well, I mean, I'm not going to do that now. You but. did. That's why I said it, you I was ding doing dong. It, I was doing it for myself. I just wanted to go for dramatic effect anyway. What a great opening this is. It sure is. So, you can find myself, Peter Melnick podcaster. You can find us... Myself on uh, Twitter at Peter Melnick, and yourself is not on Twitter. You can also. 
I, I'm in like a I'm in a post uh, glow of uh, emotions. Feels good. That's good for you, I suppose, and, and all those emotions. Sure, whatever anyway, they may be. You can find us on Insta- You can find myself on Instagram at Peter Melnick and yourself at Eddie nine one nine three. And also, people, you can listen to us on a wide variety of streaming platforms, including TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Podbean, SoundCloud, among many, many others. But most importantly, go on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, and share. And also, when you go on to WolverinePodcast.com and use the promo code at checkout, Marvelists, you'll get one free month of Stitcher Premium, and it helps support this here fine program. And after that, Benjamin J. Grimm... After that one month, just four hundred and ninety-nine cents. Exactly, and or, or ninety-nine. Yeah, four ninety-nine. So, because some people are just like, wait, I don't have that many pennies. I, who am I going to send these to? Am I going to? Is Mister Stitcher going to accept them? John Q. Stitcher. Not unrolled. It's, just imagine pennies. sending them in like you know Ziploc baggies. That's not happening. It's a terrible idea. It sure is. I'm going to. It's do all it. yours. But. You can listen to a ton of audio content, including Wolverine the Long Night and its new sequel, Wolverine. The Lost Trail? Yes. We, we wanted to do dramatic pause for that. It sure was. It, it's pause. It's some pause with some adamantium claws coming out of it. Get it? Because he's a Wolverine. That was stupid. Shut up. Hey, we've got a guest. We do. And we, well, now, just for his thing, he's going to get a longer way into intro today. <laughs> Oh, Just no. for that. Sorry. No, no, it was it was well timed. I think. How dare you, sir? But you can, like I said, cancel at any time with the Stitcher Premium membership. But we think you should stay on. There's a lot of stuff. There is. Anyway, so Eddie, it's X month. It is. Y, X, Y marks the spot. Z, and buried under that X is Josh Rosengrant, our guest co-host for this evening. Josh, welcome back. I'm not dead. It's... I didn't even know you were sick. Oh, oh my. That's going to be quick. Not dead. You didn't even know he wasn't sick. So there. <laughs> God. Alive in the flesh, living and breathing, Joshua Rosengrant. He, he does. He, I just I squeezed his uh yeah, don't touch his me. arm. Uh, how my rumbus look going on? It's here. a BFF thing, ladies and gentlemen. The little fellow over here. Consider yourself spared. You can't see the visual. God. I'm uncomfortable. I'm even now, since the last time you've been here, a lot of stuff has happened. Endgame happened, and X-Men Dark Phoenix, which as of this recording, will have released this weekend. And, yeah, just a lot of stuff has happened since. Catch yeah. me up. But the last Catch time up. we spoke to Josh, it was for what episode? Do you remember, Josh? You gave your input some... Oh, just some oh I remember was another fantastic... Large font four. <laughs> wow, I never heard it called that. Fan four stick or fantastic four stick. Yeah, twenty fifteen. Yes, exactly. Right. And since then, like I said, a lot has happened, including a some, I guess, uh, images from a trailer for Spider Man: Far From Home. And I didn't call it Homecoming. I'm really proud of myself for that because I've been doing that repeatedly. Isn't that cool how they did that? Homecoming is like two different things. Yes. Sorry. It is. It is. You're welcome. Anyway. <laughs> but in regards to that, people, there have been like these images and I guess video footage of him wearing Tony Stark's glasses, right? Him? Peter Parker. Thank Spider-Man. You. Which, by the way, Josh, I got a question for you. Oh, no. It's too soon. Can you say Spider-Man for me? Yeah. Spider-Man? No, no, no. You're saying it wrong. Spider-Man. Oh, oh no. I'm on the spot. Spider-Man? No, no. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Okay, you pronounced the hyphen correctly in there. Thank you. 
Always respect the hyphen. Respect the hyphen, Josh. All the eyebrow raising. Anyway. Mm. So since then, like they were saying, <laughs> like we were saying, I was saying, we all were saying, mm-hmm. there is the footage and you're seeing Peter Parker wearing Tony Stark's glasses. And I guess he pushes a button and you see a heads up display HUD. And it's kind of cool knowing like, oh, why is he, we-? like we've seen some of the pictures. Why is he wearing Tony Stark's glasses? Now let's remember where did these glasses, where did we see, pun intended, if what these glasses. This guy over here. Where was Tony wearing them in? in Infinity War. Infinity War. This okay. was during, I believe, the scene with, hey, Squidward. Uh, yes. Okay. With Ebony Maw and the Black Order. Okay. Does All Peter right. just have bad vision again? No, my, well, my vision's always been terrible. I just can't That's pretty fun. Glasses. That's pretty good. That uh, vision, again, like from the original Spider-Man movies. <laughs> Wink. With the Toby series, especially with the second one with, with Doc Ock, that he... Didn't need his glasses when his spider powers came back. That that kind of thing, yeah. Double wink. Yeah. But yeah, I think... Tony's glasses. A lot of people have been talking about this, and you're, you know, you dabble in acting, and I want to know... Dabble a little. With the character of Mysterio, Mysterio is known as a actor, you know, a failed actor, and he wants to do a life of crime. Special effects Special effects. Yeah. Mm. What is it like? Are you a fan of Mysterio at all? I, I actually am not really familiar. That, oh, wait, no, I did watch the cartoon in the 90s. And that counts. It's like, all I remember was a giant fishbowl villain. Yeah, fishbowl head, you didn't, right. You never saw his, like, face. It was just, like, foggy. No, and he created the special, the fog. I, I was and so, always yeah. wondered how in the world he's able to do anything if he can't see if it's covered in fog. <laughs> and right. now, it's Jake Gyllenhaal underneath. And I wonder how Jake can see. See, that's good that it was in the 90s series that you're saying, because that was past, I'm going to say, my time of, of watching the Spider-Man animated stuff. But I do remember him in the original 1967 series being in there, Mysterio. And and which, by the way, hard. Spider-Man 67 is getting another reemergence with a meme. I don't know if you've been seeing this. Ye, uh, Me ye- and the boys, and it's a picture of Rhino, Vulture, uh, Electro and Green Goblin and it's all of them looking like kind of like Beavis and Butthead characters like they're posed like <laughs> yeah yeah but it's me and the boys and it's like something me and the boys something something mm. my favorite one recently and I threw it up on the uh, Marvelists Facebook page facebook.com slash the Marvelists and it's a shot of all four villains sitting there and the caption is me and the boys going with my dad going with my dad to go see a PG-13 movie since we're under 13 and it's J. Jonah Jameson just smiling in the middle. He's like, eh, I'm taking my kids to go see some stuff. I, I didn't know. see, but I did see, I think, an image of Spider-Man on the television as somebody is watching it from the 67 series. And I can't remember, I can't reference where that was from. But that's good. That's good that that comes back um, Spider-Man 67. More, than, more than 50 years now, yeah. It's been a very memeable movie, or a TV series, because there's also, if you remember at the end of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse... You see the pointing with Spider-Man 2099 and 67 Spidey. No, you, no, you, no, you, no, you. That part. Well, that originated as a meme. It originated in the TV show in 67 Mm -hmm. and then ended up becoming a meme of imposters. Absolutely, because that was what the theme of that was about. I think it was what the chameleon who was the villain in that particular episode. And I I do find it funny that, again, how memeable 67 Spider-Man is. There's also my favorite shot of Spider-Man sitting at a desk 
and there's like a painting of Spider-Man behind him. Have, I don't know if you've ever no, seen No, I don't one. think so. I'll it sounds send, like sort of a double image thing. But I'll yeah. find it. I'll send it to you. It's, you it's sure like it's a not a mirror? Thing. No, no. <laughs> it's, it's a painting. <laughs> okay. It's Spider-Man facing the viewer, and in the background is a painting of Spider-Man. But it's literally just that picture of Spider-Man in the uh, the frame mm-hmm. from him just sitting in front of the uh, the desk. I think that sounds cool. It's hilarious. It's yeah. one of the most funniest memes you know I've ever seen with Spider-Man. Very nice. Okay. Yay. Stop that. And there's... There's a lot of you. Both of you are gonna get a bit getting stop that's today. I'm ready. Are you, Josh? For to to rumble for some football. X Men, yay! But anyway, <laughs> with uh, also on the topic of memes, we're freely allowed over the past few weeks to do memes in regards to Avengers Endgame and. Endgame is a movie that has so many memeable moments. The whole scene with Hulk going. I see this as an absolute win. Yes. I've seen so many memes utilizing that quote, as well as Hulk handing uh, Ant-Man the, ta- the tacos. Sure. I think it's funny how easy it is to meme these. And going over with memes in general, you know, with Marvel stuff, the movie we're doing today, X-Men First Class, which, by the way, people, yes, I don't know if you read the description, it's X-Men First Class, because we didn't mention that at all in this episode That's so far. correct, sir. Mm-hmm. But X-Men First Class is, you know, it's a movie that has, you know, one of those memes with Michael Fassbender's Magneto going, I prefer the real mystique. I said the real mystique. Perfection. And that's been a meme for like a number of years now. And I've seen yeah. like variations of that. I think I have too, yeah. Memes are us. Go Yankees. <laughs> anyway, in regards to... Stuff like, let's just talk Marvel in general, because before we get into the topic at hand of X-Men First Class, there's been a lot of rumor and innuendo about what is the future of Marvel, Marvel Studios, what we're going to see next. And we, both you and I, you know, off mic, had speculation on what we think is going to happen. And I feel in regards to some of these movies, we're going to see new characters obviously introduced because you have to have new teams set up. And do you think we are going to see some new teams subtly introduced through other means in regards to like, you know, reprinting uh, certain books? Because I noticed something and I want to run it by you. Alpha Flight number one recently got a facsimile reprint. And yes. To be completely honest, yes, the run is fantastic. You got John Bernhardt and it leads later on into, you know, some great stuff by Jim Lee, etc., etc. But ask John Q, comic reader... And no one cares about Alpha Flight, to be honest. The, the regular comic book fans. Yeah. How many people have you heard clamoring, I really want to see Alpha Flight back up there. I want to see Puck. I want to see Sasquatch. Uh, you know what? I, <laughs> don't bird. Re- I don't recall seeing anything recent. And we did mention what could be the future yeah. of the films. And there was even, I think, one fan interpretation or some random yeah, listing the, posting of what could be in Marvel Studios Phase 4. So, I think the franchise is alive and well and Oh yeah, absolutely. We, you know, it's it's a lot of speculation, of course. There's no doubt about that, but I don't think there's any I don't know, hesitation or or uncertainty. How long can this last? Like people maybe some people just can't wait for something or some entity to to ultimately fail. 
Yeah, like people were, people were saying this when Ant Man came out. Like, mm. oh, the superhero boom is going to end. Yeah, no, no, nope, didn't happen. So. Because when you've got a posting that I was able, I, I had saved, that's talking about things like a Black Widow movie, an Eternals movie, and an Inhumans movie. Not to mention, well, there was an Inhumans movie announced back in twenty fourteen or fifteen. Well, and it's then it coming back. Oh well, no, that's a fa- that's fan made. <laughs> well, yes, yes, but I doubt it'll happen because the. Uh, the ABC series was not very good, was it, Josh? The first episode was fantastic, and then it went downhill. I've heard it. it I, 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 I heard recorded the f- all of it and then deleted it. I didn't even watch it. Well, right. wasn't it even in the first episode when Medusa lost her hair? Yeah. That's, yeah so okay. that was a... <gasps> right. Oh and then God. scene two. You know, moment already. Like, I'm, not having, I'm not, having, I'm, I'm not uh, going into cardiac arrest, but that was a catch-your-breath type of, OMG, what did they do already? Right. And Took her power away? But they had the dog. They got a... Big, huge... Lockjaw. Lockjaw. Yeah. Yeah. With the funky triangle thingy on his... Not triangle, but, you right. know, tongue, uh, music tongue thingy. It was thingy cool on, to yeah. see. I think it was Tuning great, fork. It was yeah. more of a cool visual. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But no. you can't, I don't think, do Inhumans without Lockjaw. No, absolutely no, no. not. He's the, he's the transporter. Yeah. And it's kind just... Of thing. I hate to say it, but going back, you know, in regards to space balls, merchandising. You know, you have to have that. And let's be real, Lockjaw would make a great stuffed animal. And guess what? They've done stuffed Lockjaws. They had, like, when Toys R Us was going out of business, they had a crap ton of those uh, Lockjaws for sale. Sure. I I did want one. I never got it. Well, the new craze now, of course, is uh, Moose, the the cat, right? Goose the cat, Eddie, not Moose. (laughs) Guess. Where'd I go with it? All right, so I flipped my consonants. Excuse me, pardon me. I'll do better next time. You, you, well, you better. That was a stretch. Show respect to the Flurkin. Yeah, far from Flurkin. Which, by the way, I believe you haven't seen Captain Marvel yet, have you, Josh? No, but I know it's about a girl who's called Captain Marvel. Good Woman. start. Not good enough. Good anyway. start. We like that. Okay. <laughs> we take we take trainees. Yeah. And speaking of trainees, Charles Xavier has a lot of trainees in his school. And in X-Men First Class, released in the year of our Lord, 2011... It was a movie, and it was pretty damn good. On this, my, yeah, on this rewatch, and uh, I found a few more things that came out, and I'm like, whoa, yeah, oh, okay, that's that's relevant, or this is, yeah. So first off, let's just go with the fact that they had to redo, essentially, they rebooted the X-Men franchise with this. So this was like a, their, you know what, let's start clean, let's do a new start, let's do anus tart. And oh, no, <laughs> let's not say we did or did not. But they... Wipe the slate clean. Did something new, which next week's episode, Day of Future, Days of Future Past, kind of, sorta, not really, no. But this was their idea of restarting everything, doing something new. Part of the extra features on the DVD that I have in my rewatch, and I looked at that before the review, talked about the directors of the the, the think tank. I'm going to say people who got together and said, "How do we want to approach this? Let's look at." a young version of these characters, these X-Men. And so I think that's where, of course, the 60s came in, where they first started, and the rest followed. I was going to start off by saying that not only do we open up with a young Eric Leshner in 1944 in Poland and the whole concentration camp thing, uh, then segue to young Xavier, same year, and it dawned on me, and maybe, Peter, you said it uh, one time before in just glossing over X-Men First Class, that this movie in a very, very little synopsis, can be a tale of two brothers. 
I did not say this, but that's a good idea. Okay. I'll take the credit. So yeah, I'd rather the cash, but okay. <laughs> Johnny Cash, the man in black. Uh, not not, not the gunslinger thing, man in black thing. Hello. But I'm in a lot of ways, yeah, you've got you've got parallels. You're, you're looking between the two characters and seeing how they're in their own world and meeting up and then you know coming out to their to their end that we will get to. But I think yes, two two brothers, not in the biological sense. It's just called two brothers. <laughs> That's exactly right. Shout out to the Rick and Morty fans out there, Ugh. but. Or the Richard and Mortimer fans for those intellectual uh, Rick and Morty fans. Okay. But mm-hmm. I I don't know. I think opening with that whole scene of the concentration camp, you know this is not your standard X-Men movie. This is going for a darker tone. And and I like, too, also that you know it's fictional. Yeah. it's But they do interweave or integrate real, real historical things when you're seeing the jfk speeches and you're seeing this and this it's it's a movie that really does a period piece justice you have the sense of this takes place in 1960s you can tell based on the clothing you can tell on just the atmosphere around them and the biggest credit for this movie for me the biggest thing I take away from it was how the lighting was, where it made it look like it was a film done in the 1960s. Not a movie nowadays, but a 1960s movie. I didn't actually notice that aspect of it, and by the look on Josh's face, neither did he. Regardless, if it made you feel like you were in that time period, then all the, all the better. Yes. So I was just with it. It was there for me. It's always about the music. So some of the tunes that were in there for sure, definitely Freddy 60s Cannon. stuff. Yeah, Palisades Park. Uh, and it jumped out at me, meaning, uh, oh, wow, this song was in here? Really? I, you know, Green well, Onions. I was, sh- I was genuinely onions. surprised. Yeah, Booker T and the MGs. And, and for something like Palisades Park, one of the shortest songs on record, I think like less than two minutes, in yeah. fact. So that set it up, that put it in the time frame, and that's what you want to do when you're doing a movie regardless. But again, interwove, interwoving the, the history stuff, I wanted to just, again... Look at the the beginning two things with Eric and his mom and being separated and his um, extreme stress and anxiety and him bending the the gates that were shut out out there and then being knocked out, of course. And he got up again. Did he got up again? Never ever going to bring him down. Wow, there's a music reference. And we're, we're, we're if, and if all of your responses to my music references were yes, that's a music reference. Yeah, just then I just acknowledge that, right? I would appreciate. And then that. going to Westchester, New York, again in 1944, you see a young Charles going to the refrigerator, and his mom question mark because she's all in a formal like dress and and the pearl necklace, but he suspects, and it is not Eddie. This is a PG-13 show. We're not supposed to be talking about those kind of things. I'm telling you what the visual is, in case you didn't see it, but it's actually Raven that he turns out to, oh, to meet so for the random. first time. Yeah, exactly. It's a feature I can see. There we go. Shut up, Josh. Because you look in the background, and apparently uh, Raven took her image form from a photograph. I think it was a black and white photograph, but she's in a red dress and the white pearl necklace, whatever. And then you go to where back to, um, to Eric and Kevin Bacon's character trying to get him to exercise his power. Kevin Bacon in this movie... Holy crap, what a villain. Yeah. What a dastardly piece of garbage That's this is. It's a good guy way is. to dastardly, yeah. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. phenomenal in the role and 
you hear, you know, he has the German accent. It just reminds me of Christoph Waltz a little bit in Inglorious Bastards, where mm. it's just he's so sinister behind his actions, and he's not Mister Sinister. That's another guy. You know, different facial expression and, it, and coloring too. And it should have been Brian Cranston, but uh, I digress. Don't but you the, feel bad that he never got a piece of chocolate? <laughs> well, maybe everybody should, or some are allergic. I know someone, at least one person like that. Unfortunate, but true. But My he, question, though, on, on this particular point is, when the young Eric is being asked to move this coin that he seems to can't be able to do, do you truly believe that he can't do it? Or that he's not trying hard enough? Do you? What do you think? Could, could he have done I, it? Uh, rage was what pushed him to go further. Oh, now I can do it. Now I'm gonna, really going to do it. It's that kind of thing. Probably part of his mind thought that his mom wasn't going to get shot. I don't see that at all. And so it wasn't enough of a incentive or a catalyst to cause him to do that because once his mom is shot, he destroys the whole room, the other room that's next to that office that they're in. My thing is the look of, he was still had a look of fear on his face while he's trying to do it and he couldn't yeah. do it. Yeah. I hate to say it, it's kind of like, I can't pee while everyone else is watching me. You know, it's well, kind of that kind yeah, of thing. Okay, I got gotcha. you. I, I can't do that. He's like, you're not going to do it here. I'm not, because it's a no. radio station. Good. You better not, jeez. And, and the equipment with liquid does not go together. So, we unlock your gift with anger. Anger and pain. And then the translated line, the subtitle says, You and me, we're going to have a lot of fun together. I, I just, I cannot get over how good of a villain this guy was. And the fact, I always forget that Kevin Bacon was in a Marvel movie. It's one of, and the, the the thing is this, he is so, like, now I will remember this because of how stellar this role was for him. Stella? Yeah, Stella! Okay. We're, we're on a streetcar right now. Could have been a contender. And it's named Desire. By Tennessee, I got that right. By Tennessee Tuxedo. It's named Geneva, Switzerland. Now we're up to 1962 and Magneto, Magneto? He's, he's floating that coin between his fingers. And doesn't that make absolutely no sense to have that jump? And no explanation. I'm just it's randomly a, it's, it's, sitting it's, on the bed. No, you, no. There's you there's that. a there's a connection. There's the fact that he couldn't move the coin, and now, this many years later, almost twenty years later, he's, he's taller. Floating. He's taller. He's grown. He's he an adult. He was a, He wish he wishes he was a baller. <laughs> I, I understood that one too. Oh, I'm getting good at this. And I don't know the significance of it, but you do see he's got a number. On his arm. Well, you know what that number as well. is. It's two one four seven eight two. That's what the number is. But you know what? But the, the significance. Yes, is. we know the significance. Yeah. Is right. Exactly. So at some point, and we didn't see that as the young Eric, that he was what, for lack of a better word, branded with a number. Now maybe there is a significance to that actually, actual digits. Those digits on on his right. arm. Uh, not to say where placement was it. I don't think it mattered if it was the right or the left, but the fact that it's there. He did get that brand during that time period. So that's just a reminder of where he came from and what was happening you know, about 20 years previous. And it's, I, I just, I enjoy the duality of, you know, you have the good side of Magneto and the bad side of Magneto. And he is a polarizing figure because you're yeah. not sure whether you want to root for him or not. Yeah. Because to be completely honest, watching this movie... I would have paid to watch two hours of him killing Nazis. Not going to lie. Like, I would be fine with that. That would be fine. Because after all of the, you know, garbage he went through, yeah, 
Dude deserves to do that. He should absolutely do every single, you know, murder. We'll go with that movie. He did kill Nazis. But even more, he should have killed a lot more. Wow. Well, we get the idea of how that how that goes. But now, of course, you're going to segue to a, grown, a more adult Charles, also 1962 at Oxford University. Not bald yet, by the he's, way. No, no, that's going to Which be I, a while. I love that in this movie where you just hear, oh, I'm gonna, I guess they're, I'm going to call me professor now. They really do. Next thing you know, I'm going to be bald. And you're, no, it's not going to happen. You just fast forward to like the end of the movie. You realize that. I get that. Okay, good. But it's not movies for the blind. We can do other things. Spoilers for a movie that came out years ago. <laughs> that That's counterproductive. But anyway. I needed to find out about Jurassic Park. Now, is the park all right? I don't know. Is Wayne Knight all right? Who the heck is Wayne Knight? Newman? This guy gets Jurassic it. Park, Newman? He's he, he he no he's not all right he doesn't make it out of Jurassic Park he does not <laughs> not on that rainstorm and that uh, spoilers by the way for the movie from 1993 <laughs> yes exactly Next Xavier uh, Charles Xavier is trying to be quite the ladies man in picking up a woman named Amy with one green eye and one blue eye because it's a mutation you see it's exactly right and this is where we hear the line that comes along at least three times later I believe it comes through not Jennifer Lawrence but this. Girl, Amy. Jennifer Lopez. Mutant and proud. And that's it. And Raven says, mutant and proud. She's like, you know, that's a throwaway line. She doesn't care for that at all, you know, whatsoever. And that's outside the bar that she says it. And, uh, and in the bathroom, when she is transformed herself to being all blue as is her natural state. Right. And, uh, and then she says, if only... Like that's if such I only a, had a brain. That's an oxymoron to her that if only she could be mutant and proud when that, she, she realizes at this point that she has to hide. We are also introduced to the concept of would they date, meaning Raven and Charles. And, it kind and of, the line is, you're my oldest friend. And she says, I'm your only friend. Did he, did he friend zone her? Maybe before it was a thing. There's going to be a bunch of guys wearing cargo shorts up in arms. Oh, the friend zone. How dare they do that? Oh, you're wearing cargo shorts. What? Nothing wrong with cargo shorts. (laughs) What's your stance on Mountain Dew? Uh, It's very aggressive. Good enough. Good word. Okay. Mm -hmm. But. Cargo shorts. Cargo shorts, yes. No. Charles Xavier wearing cargo shorts. Just imagine that movie. <laughs> well, you know what? Him wearing cargo shorts? Yeah, he sure. Puts, in a so world where in Charles in a world. can stand and not in a wheelchair, I see that happening. Does he have hair or does he have like No. Shape? Josh, you watched the movie. He does oh, not. I don't... Do you ever see him without, with like, in shorts? But I could, I, I could visualize yeah. that, though. I don't know why, but yes. Okay, anyway. On safari. Uh, yes, absolutely. In the Savage Land. Yes, that's the right backdrop to Savage Land. He just randomly shoots Kazar. <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> Have you ever seen him with a gun? Maybe with his mind? I don't know. But... Nope. Shoots him with a rifle. Oh, that's just so wrong. It's wrong on more than one level, I suppose. Yeah. And with with the uh, idea of just seeing these characters running around, like literally for Xavier, running around, mm. I like that we're seeing this early version of the characters because... There are people that, you know, saw the original X-Men trilogy and they're like, there are fans. Why is he like that? Why is he in the wheelchair? Why, what happened? What happened was like, some people do want to know that backstory. And I feel including that and 
doing that adds a much more emotional gravitas to it. Yeah. Because you see at the end, he gets capped in the back and it's not Captain America, but shot in the back and it's well, like, all, well, like the hip area. All da- but it's all downhill, no pun intended, for him. Well, yeah. Yeah, and we'll get to that because I have a poignant sort of kind of moment. Is it a poem? With, with that. It's not a poem. It, oh, so a haiku it's then. A personal reflection, that's all it is. It's a Kleenex or hanky uh, tissue alert kind of thing. Let me cut to Las Vegas where we first get introduced at the Atomic Nightclub to Maura McTaggart and the Hellfire Club. Who, by the way, I did not care about prior to this movie. And it makes me want to read more Hellfire Club stuff now. Did not care about the Hellfire Club previously? Yeah. Because to me, it's very much a... Shaw is just a boring villain who has mutton chops. But in this, again, I keep using the words dastardly, sinister, diabolical even. Just a great villain with that personification. And it does make me want to revisit the Claremont stuff and read early Hellfire Club with, you know, the, the Phoenix The side. characters, in, yes. And that is in the 130s, I think, of, of the X-Men original. I think it's 110, climber. maybe, around yeah. the Phoenix saga, because Dark Phoenix is 129 to 138. I remember that because I went on Comixology today. I think 133, I'm going to say, is where Wolverine lashes out, and it's at the Hellfire Club. That's part Probably. of the part of the headline, so that's where I'm saying, you know, 130s. Before the the real Phoenix, 135, 6, somewhere around there. But I think that's, yeah, the first we are introduced to the Hellfire Club. That's the only, I'm, that I remember, barring so much more to be reading, so, where Hellfire Club comes in. And I'm, more references, but then, of course, Emma Frost. and I'm curious yeah. your reaction when I said I never cared about the Hellfire Club myself. Were you a fan of the Hellfire Club? I, I like I said, I only know them from that part of the X Men comic book stuff. But did you like reading that stuff? I mean, like, the, oh yeah, those, I thought the that personification was, of them. As no, villains. I thought that was a good um, team to them to be battling up against. You know, the X Men as a team. So I was I was good with it while they put out stories regarding them. Sure, I feel like in regards to villains with the X Men, you want to have the big bombastic kind of character. So that's why the Brotherhood of Evil mutants work so well because. Mm-hmm. They're these over-the-top kind of figures and personalities. Like you have the Blob, you have Magneto, you have Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch at one point. Yes, and, and I think that you have the Toad also. Toad, yes, yeah. who you know would eventually go on to become the janitor at the uh, school for gifted youngsters. It's it's pretty great. I was reading a little bit of Wolverine and the X Men, and you just see like a gigantic explosion, and he goes, "Wait a minute, I got to clean this up all by myself." There are. Seriously. That's not the only janitorial reference to. I mean, there's a diehard like that. Uh, I think the second one from the airport, probably. Uh, if I'm gonna clean this up, you know. But like I said, you know, I feel Hellfire Club is a much more cerebral kind of villain as opposed to bro- the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, who are bombastic again. Another villain, Juggernaut. How could I forget Juggy? Mm-hmm. That's but right. How could tr- you? You know, it's true. Just these over-the-top large figures. And then you just have these guys wearing, you know, 17th century suits. And it's just like, oh, cool. We're going to be fighting the powdered wigs today. You know? <laughs> and it's it's that. It just feels like that to me. That's why, like, I do want to revisit them. Well, I think, uh, you know, as we go along through this through this movie, we're introduced to seeing uh, Emma as being a telepath and possessing this diamond hard skin. Who, by the way, you look at her, she looks the part of a 1960s, 
you know, like the uh, the Go Go Club or whatever. Yeah, like the, 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 you know, the entertainment. And I was going to say before, right away with Maura McTaggart, you don't see her on screen for five minutes, and she's in her underwear. Yeah, because she's going to be part of the entertainment and try to find out what's going on in the Hellfire Club. And that outfit for Emma Frost is one of those you look at it and you're just like, that would be a terrible translation from the comics to the big screen. But putting it in the sense of she's in the Hellfire Club with the Go Go dancers and everything. That outfit fits for that. Sure. That's like, okay, that actually does work. And then you pair it with how, you know, her hair looked and everything. She looked like a 1960s actress. Yeah. January Jones did a really good job Who's, with with that role. And it's funny because that's not the first time she did period piece stuff. She was doing Mad Men with uh, John Hamm. Okay. And that's that's her bread and butter. The 1960s, 1950s are that woman's bread and butter. I love bread and butter. <laughs> Maybe not in a pickle, though. I'm more of a dill kind of guy myself. Well, the sour stuff. You are a pretty big dill. Oh, thank you so much. Some kind of reimbursement for that, I suppose. I don't know. Mm. Uh, cut to Eric now in Argentina. Going into that bar with the Nazi emblazoned bar of gold. And, you know, trying to track down Kevin Bacon's character. He's um, going to fry that bacon. Yeah. But, uh, you know, comparing characters to, to others and so on, he does come out with a line saying that he is, uh, let's just say I'm Frankenstein's monster and I'm looking for my creator. And as you hear, you know, him say that line, you start hearing the Magneto theme song through different you mm. know, musical pieces. da dun da dun da dun da dun Which kind of reminds me of Green Day's Brain Stew a little No, bit. it sounds like the Pink Panther to me. I was going to say the same. <laughs> no, da da dun That's your heavy guitar stuff, yeah. You're going da But I can hear the Green Day now, yes. It's more Green Day for me. I hear that. I yeah. Dun, 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 dun. No, it's da 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 da. It's that heavy guitar hitting that. Yeah, yeah. And then I, you have da 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 da. Now he's going Pink Panther again. Yeah, because you're thinking it sounds like Pink Panther. It doesn't sound like Pink Panther. Yeah, because that would be more dead ant. Dead ant. Yes. Yes. I was gonna say. Oh no! This guy gets it. This guy. This guy. Yeah, this guy. I've been doing a podcast with him for over a year, and like I have now. This guy. This Tell guy. you what, and we go from I guess what the German beer that was a whole tie into again the the Eric scene and uh, well taking care of those characters in the bar, the two or three that were there, and again just making him look like a total badass. Yeah, and then going to Charles drinking out of that long tube of beer and just showing off for the ladies out of there because Raven is. I guess his friend and, and, and someone he could be close with, but only so close kind of thing, because I don't think they're going to date or whatever. And then the other girl is there, Amy, and now here comes Maura McTaggart into the picture. I think so he's got uh, three women in this in this scene, whatever. So what a guy. Talk about this guy, right? And then I think we go to a Shaw scene, absorbing the explosion of a grenade. Now, now we see how he can uh, do what he does, but he says that's the boring part, just the absorbing of the energy. But the real excitement is what he does but to, uh, to release it. So we're seeing what's happening there. We're also introduced to, uh, just in a previous scene, previous scene, a Colonel Bob Henry, if I got the name right. And I think they mispronounced Strucker. Well, one of the military guys in the, I guess, the uh, the war room. Gentlemen, stop fighting here. This is the war room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But 
I love that this is the second time, or this is the first time, and then later on in, I believe, Agent Carter, he shows up. I forgot the actor's name, but the guy who plays the father on uh, Leland Palmer on Twin Peaks shows up in this. He's in this again. As one of the military guys? Or? Yeah. Okay. He's just one of them, and I, I just look, and I'm like, wait a minute. Some bitch, yeah. Is, is, is he going to start singing uh, that one song from Twin Peaks that, you know... I forgot what it's called now. I haven't seen Twin Peaks in forever, but I digress. I'm more than that, more than forever. But I You've think never even seen it Twin just, Peaks. No, it wow. just struck me that struck me literally that he's been called Agent Strucker when you know it's Striker, especially when they're saying Son William, and they did spell it right in the in the uh, credits. But just a little 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 thing like that. There were protests in the street about this. <laughs> you would think where? <laughs> <laughs> Let's meet. Eric together with Charles, because Charles saves Eric in the uh, ocean. And Charles is seen there. Charge. Yeah, well, of our he's, days he's ta- he's and ta- our lives. <laughs> yeah, and I over. say, uh, you forget the rest. Want Charles in charge of me? Oh, cool. <laughs> Good. Anyway, do you think Charles was in a lot of BDSM relationships? What, B- what does that stand for? <laughs> BDSM. What? <laughs> Never mind. Cause that is exactly right. If you get it, you want to text us, go right ahead. It's quite all right. Hey, when you did that episode about love- first class, you said, BD- <laughs> well, I think that's, yeah, okay. Body double. No, I don't no, know. no. Okay. It involves bodies, but no, okay. no. Okay. Uh, we introduce now to uh, Hank McCoy, who apparently can do like everything. And, then he and I mean, himself. like he invents everything. He builds everything, it seems, in this movie. So that might have been a little bit of a over-exaggeration of, of his character. I, To be completely honest, I don't like this actor who plays Beast. I feel the best one to play Beast was Kelsey Grammer in X-Men 3. It was Nicholas per- Hout? Oh, give it up. Oh. Nicholas Hot Dog? What? Yeah, Hout. Oh. Holt. H-O-U-L-T. Holt. My thing is, I feel Kelsey Grammer was tailor-made for the role. And that's partially a bias based on watching the X-Men animated series where the guy who played Beast in that had such a great voice close to Kelsey Grammer's. So I do agree Kelsey Grammer yeah. was like, wow, he really did a great job. When I saw those X-Men movies, yes, and I agree. I, I understand why you can't use Kelsey in this because he's got, you know... He's old. old. Yeah. I <laughs> Thank hate, you, Josh. I yes. It is yeah. that. But with the technology you have... Body double, put his face on there. But this yeah. is 2011, and the technology, you have it the year prior with Tron Legacy, and it's not perfect. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to go half-ass with this. You want to go full-ass. So, if Not you, America's ass. Not America's ass, okay. indeed. You never Cap- go ass-ass. Oh, you yeah, well. No, I mean, in Requiem okay. for a Dream, you can, but you don't want to go for that ass-to-ass. We're drifting, anyway. Yes, now, but Hank, now this was a discrepancy, I believe, and probably to more than just myself, but Hank introduces, he has built, apparently, and I guess it's true, it's a Spanish word for brain, cerebro. And I said, wait, I said, wait, what? Hank, cerebro? You're kidding. Okay, they had to make it fit somehow, tie in, and that's what they, what they did. And it's and it's used to find mutants, like one in the strip club. It's like, it's like that one little, it's like that little stick you use to get water with, you know. I'm finding the water. Get the dowser. There we go. Right. It's now a water company. Okay. They must have struck water. It, it works. I guess watching it really jo- works. Watching Josh look so absolutely confused. Like, I don't I, know what that means. I is, don't. I, mm, a stick for water? A stick to find water. Yeah. Ed, Eddie and I are cultured. 
It's a it's a dowser. What are you saying? I I like the finer things. I can't in life. I can't uh, define Josh, more than it's a stick. But you love mayonnaise. What's wrong with mayonnaise? Mayonnaise. <laughs> yeah. So mayo is okay in certain certain things like tuna fish. Oh God, yes. Okay, thank All you. The slime. Yes. Okay. Oh God, I help slide down better. <laughs> anyway, so and some funny, you know, some funny little one-liners that are in there too, because both Eric and Charles go to find through Cerebro the flying mutants. I'm going to say who has wings attached to her back, and the line, "How'd you like a job where you can get to keep your clothes on?" And it kind of bothered me that her name was Angel when Warren Worthington III (laughs) was Angel. And this is true. Yes, I meant to bring that up. It does not bother me that, oh, no, they took a character and made them a woman. How dare they do that? Well, not the first. This is not the problem. That is not the problem whatsoever. This is a completely different character that is winged. You could have went with Pixie. You could have went with something else because those are fantasy-looking wings. It's not a bird's wings like angel actually had so that kind of bothers me where i'm like couldn't you just have done a different character unless they just decided to give her that name because she was a entertainer and angel would kind of fit that correct me if i'm wrong because i haven't seen the movie in a very long time but in apocalypse doesn't angel show up or archangel as a part of the uh, four four horsemen yes absolutely which, by so, the way, they hammer that point home by playing Four Horsemen by Metallica. Well, in that that's movie. another discrepancy with the X Men timeline, as we've seen throughout. Oh, so, these timelines are so confusing. That's right. That is my go-to reaction, by the way, whenever someone says, "When, where does this fall?" and it's just Deadpool going, "Oh, these timelines are so confusing." Yeah, I mean, you can have them broken sticks and put it. Well, let's put a piece over here, and let's put a piece over this, and we'll see. It's yeah. a disjointed timeline. I. But yeah, the actress who plays, in quotes, Angel, I liked. I thought she did a fantastic Zoe, job. Zoe Kravitz. Yeah. Why do I know that? Angel Sound Kravitz, Lenny Kravitz. No, I know that. I'm thinking she I, was no. in something Marvel. Okay. Other, also I think you're Marvel. I think you're you're right. Something else. I don't know about Marvel. That's but. His daughter? No, no. Yeah, I was kind of going there, but she no. was photoshopped. Josh. No. <laughs> no. And going into the other mutants, I believe the other also... mutants are introduced, like Alex Summers, uh, Banshee, and, and Banshee. By the way, is Cassidy is played by Caleb Landry Jones. And when I saw him, it didn't, you know, the synapses didn't click. But he's the uh, brother, the screw-up brother in the movie Get Out. And oh, I didn't, okay. as a fan of that movie, that was like, oh, crap, he's in this movie too? <laughs> and to be completely honest, I don't know, I haven't seen the other movies in so very long. So, like, this is kind of like a rewatch, but a refresher. So, I'm curious to see what's going to be his future in the movies, you know, because he's got to show up in Days of Future Past or Apocalypse at least, you know? Yeah, and it's quite possible, you know. I think um, he's mentioned. Watching him at the end when they're like, do you want to join us in the League of Extraordinary Mutants and Brotherhood of Evil? Because <laughs> <laughs> they don't actually call it that, but I'm going to call it that for No, you just did. Yeah. But he doesn't team up with them. But it kind of, you kind of get the impression he does want to join. He's like, I kind of want to. Oh, they have free health insurance. I kind of want to come along. They they introduce another character that I think is only to the to the movie. Well, I think double back to to him, Wolverine. No, well that's that's the one <laughs> I'm leading into. Right, Logan sitting at the bar. Excuse me, I'm Eric Lynch. Eric, Eric Lyncher. Wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Are we going to hear Eddie drop an f bomb? No. The, oh, oh. There's no need for he that. Stepped over my. Keep it Disney on this show. Yeah, I mean he does use the f bomb. Yeah, but the bar scene is. Oh, excuse Lord, yeah. me, I'm Eric Lyncher. And I'm Charles Xavier. Go F yourself. 
That's it. Uh, I don't know if you didn't have that scene, if it would have been a problem and anybody was saying, well, wait, what about Logan? What about Wolverine? Why can't we burn him in somewhere? But maybe to boost the uh, audience attendance and so on, they, they put him in there. I was fine with him just having that quick little one, two, three roll and he's done. I prefer that because yeah. mm-hmm. you don't want it to be, hey, guys, let's, you know, horseshoe in, or not sh- horseshoe. Let's shoehorn in the most popular X-Man. I wouldn't have done that. I think that would be like, it's, mm. you, if you want to restart this, start clean and start fresh. Don't include him. Build up these other characters so that when yeah. he does show up, yeah, he's important, but he's also as important as everyone else. Good point. True. Absolutely. You know. Bravo. Because, Get a British clap. <laughs> because in this movie, like, Banshee could have been a big deal. He wasn't, but he could have been. He could have been a contender. Well, considering what you may or may not remember about his place, role, everything he did in the comic books, he wasn't a huge, completely huge deal, I don't think, there either. Um, right. Did, did, he, did he do some time? I'm just thinking a little tangent here. Uh, some time with uh, Excalibur or not really? I don't believe so. Yeah, I, I kind of, that was a weak thought to begin with. So, so yeah. But he was in there for some... A decent run of time in the John Byrne area, I believe. Yeah, in the beginning, as, he was he was yeah. a part of the original team by uh, Ween and Cockrum. Right. That that started with, I guess, the resurgence of the team when what in the issue nineteen seventy five Giant Size X Men number yes, one. and then issue number ninety four, and from there on and up, so yeah. on and so on. Got it. Okay, but again, in some of these movies, you don't need to have a character that is a big deal in the comics be a big deal in the movie. Yeah, like. Jubilee in X-Men Apocalypse, in my opinion, is one of the biggest disappointments because in the cartoons, she was a big deal. In the comics, she was kind of a big deal. Yeah. And then in the movie, what is she? Quick cameo. That's it. In these movies, Mystique really wasn't that big of a deal compared to other major villains, but they made her into a bigger deal than she could be. Mm, Yeah. And that's fine. Like, they can mix things up. They could make Banshee a big deal. They could make... Uh, what's his name? I think, and I'm not sure which way works better. If, if for example, since we're talking about Banshee, if his character was a bigger deal, more screen time, and a significant amount, though, especially when they're on the beach and he's flying around and everything helping out Havoc in, in one scene in particular, if they made that character bigger in the movie, and some people are going, wait a minute, he wasn't such a big deal in the comic books. Why are they blowing him up like this? I feel Havoc wasn't a big deal in this movie. Like, he was very low-key, and it uh, kind of reminded me of, like, Multiple Man in X-Men 3, where... I don't know, I'm kind of... I'm thinking that uh, Havoc's character was the same in the comics and in the movie. So, it's on the same level. Uh, in the old school, like, pre-Giant Size, he was, like, mm. a big deal. Like, he was one of the main okay. team players, you know, alongside Polaris. Okay, yeah. boo. But yeah, I don't think we make the bro- we get or do we the the brother connection with Alex and Scott not in the movies and not for some time, you know. But no, we realize I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, that's kind yeah. of a foggy area and stuff. And and is there relevance to finding out that that Shaw Kevin Bacon's character got his helmet from the Russians? Was that just put in there because yeah we're dealing with. Missiles, Russia, Turkey, you United want States, Cold, you Cuba. You want that Cold War connection. Yeah, so it goes It goes there, yeah. And now that the, the recruited, the recruits are working for the government, their government agents now, Raven says, we should have code names. And that's where Green Onions comes in, musically speaking. So she, she starts naming Mystique, 
and 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 Tyrone, the character that I was kind of referring to before, who I believe is not in the comics. I, yeah, he's he's Darwin uh, because he uh, he adapts to situations. So he's going to be on the other side, the bad side, but then tries to well, help he, his he fellow did it as a ruse, as a ruse, exactly. Yeah, um, and yes, Angel. Um, she's got the wings. She's got these what spits fireballs type of thing. Those are her two abilities. And that was my favorite part of Angel in the X Men comics when it was Warren Worthington the Third, where he just spitball stuff. <laughs> Is that yeah? Again, see, you could have went with a different character name. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, yeah. And uh, Raven, I think, names Havoc because of him, uh, his random. I'm going to call it a plasma burst, uh, severing that uh, metal. Copper, bronze, whatever it was, statue in the half. rings. The rings. Rings. It's all about the rings. Yeah. Although are, I thought with the comic book, mm. Havoc shoots sort of like beams, but maybe they are encircled. No, not beans. From, no, no. Pork and beans. Magic beans. Magic beans. Talking to the mic, Josh. Jack and the beanstalk. Magic beans. There we go. Magic beans. And so his voice gets lower. <laughs> but Raven again says, "You should be Professor X, and you should be Magneto." She just pulled that. Why does she get that honor? And what a weird way to just be Just like, to bring that out, just say, let's get these names out of here and... And just get it out of the way. Yeah, so maybe that's a little deterrent. I feel for like the there could have been more meaning behind it. She's bossy. Yeah. And blue. <laughs> no, she's not that sad. Well, I mean, some parts she's sad. Wouldn't it be something if she changed color, like, for different moods? Oh. Or is that more like a lizard? Like a mystique or a chameleon. Because yeah, they adapt. Sorry, that's uh, that's the Spider-Man universe. That Sony's got to, that. Well, you know, they, there's, there's crossovers. We, we know that term. That's for sure. What is this? A crossover episode? It's possible. We've got timelines crossing. So good you know, lord, do we? We sure do. Absolutely. Um, fast forward a little bit to um, the mutants or Charles. Everybody else being transported in the back of that truck. I didn't realize Charles's mental power has a cloaking ability kind of thing, because instead of the back of that that uh, army truck or whatever. He hides them from the enemy's view, so that it looks like there's nobody in the back of that truck. So, like, okay, we'll, we'll go. We'll go with that. You know. Wow. 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 Yeah. Exactly. Wow. And I Chow think. I think we car. get. I think we get up to the part now where, like you said earlier, Peter, about the JFK historical components cross, crossing in here now because we're getting um, the Russians sending the warheads to Cuba. And at See, the same time, finding that we have new digs for the X-Men to, for the mutants I to, feel, to I be feel in. I feel using the, uh, the archive footage, like the 1960s stuff, it's so hard to believe because you see it in there and it's aged footage. You know what I mean? Like the film quality is not that good anymore because, you know, it's 40, 50 years older, right? Yeah. It To me, like there's that little part that takes me out where I'm just like, and I realize... The thing that takes me out with the mutants, with their superpowers, that doesn't take me out of this movie. But seeing old footage, no, you know what I mean? It's like you see them watching this and it's like aged footage on a TV. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it looked brand new for them at least. You know what I mean? Like cleaner. Yes. So I'm just like, it kind of takes me out a little bit. But again, a guy turns blue in this movie. So what, what, the, hell, what the hell do I know? It would still be black and white. In the TV, yes, it would be. I think I know someone who used to think the world was black and white for I a number like of years. I was like five. You were okay. 17. You oh, don't stop. know this. <laughs> Lies. I should be news. saying now, stop that. It was real. It happened. I lived it. You were, what? I wasn't there when this happened. God. Anyway. We're, we're having a prayer now all of a sudden. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think we're getting into now Charles doing the training of all these people, including Eric and Alex... And Banshee and Hank, 
And Hank, by the way, coming up with this, because again, he's creating, he's developing everything, including this antibiotic injection to take away the mutation thing. And, and it turns Ray, out he just blew himself. He just, yeah, blew himself up, turned it's the color blue. It's a development reference. It's, oh, is that right? Okay. But Raven is now having a second thought, and here we go, mutant and proud. So, Hank takes the injection, but it backfires. It accelerates the change. And which means he's going to have a real problem with He's toenails. blue and hairy and furry and... daba dee daba die. Well, actually, I'm <laughs> blue. Yeah, okay, that's right. Which is an opening for what Iron Man three, I believe, yes, right? Sir. As this, as the uh, pages are turning of of Marvel in the opening. I love how much this open. man knows. It's amazing. It's thank just, you. Just <laughs> you, you are too, sweetheart. You're good. <laughs> thank you. They're good. Yes, Charles and Eric and their fireside chat is what I equated to what happens here, where where Eric says, "You believe they're all like Mora, meaning humanity, Homo sapiens," and Charles saying, "You believe they're all like Shaw." So here's another brother conversation, interaction, and, and get the tale of two brothers is evolving and, and continues. And then the shirtless uh, saxophone player from Lost Boys shows up to play I Still Believe. I still believe. You've watched Lost Boys, right, Eddie? No. Are you serious? Yeah, I guess I am. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. You mean Lost Boys, Peter Pan? No, not that Lost Boys. Lost Boys by uh, Joel Schumacher, and it's like 1987. 19... Okay. Damn, you are good. Yeah, but anyway... <laughs> Wasn't Cry Little born? Sisters on the soundtrack? I guess. You know that song. Uh, maybe. I don't know if that was a hit on the radio. To be no. Honest. Oh, my. God. Yeah, well, no, I don't think so. Nope. Eddie. Lost Boys. This has to do with uh, what's something. Uh, yeah, the Frog uh, Brothers. It's Vampires. Vampires. It's, thank yes. you. That's where I was going. Okay. If you, Wow, you have not seen Lost yeah, it's, Boys. It's just on my list. Put maybe. it on the list. Yes, put it on the list, Cap. If I make a list or something. You just made the list. <laughs> okay, Jericho. <laughs> but, Omaha Sticks. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, yes, if you'd like to help the show out, uh, Omaha Stinks. <laughs> yeah. Hey, maybe we can get that sponsorship deal. We can get that or Blue Chew. They are great for holidays and uh, perfect <laughs> right. gift giving for the grill and so on. I found out what Blue Chew meant today. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're dick pills, people. Bless you also. <gasps> you know what? Yeah. Censor mm -hmm. that. Richard Pills. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I'm still just in disbelief that Eddie hasn't seen The Lost Boys. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, Blue is what we're seeing uh, Raven as now. And Blue is with, how I'm feeling because Eddie with, hasn't seen The Lost Boys. <laughs> with the scene with Eric in her totally natural blue form, not covered up, anything like that, although for the purpose of viewing audience, yes, there's some covering. And then between Raven and Charles, who's kind of appalled that she's all in blue and, you know. I, I want to make an observation. The transformation, I'm realizing observation, transformation a new sensation. Like you're under sedation. Again. You guys did really good in your essay. Okay, Broadway Bill Lee. <laughs> Damn, you are good. Again. Could you stand while you're doing this? No. This is a reference only a should few I, people will get. I jump to the left now, too? <laughs> anyway. Okay. My observation is when you look at Mystique's transformation throughout the movie, mm -hmm. when she does her little, you know, changing from regular to blue yep. or blue to regular or whatever. Yeah, or different characters, yeah. You notice it's a very great CGI effect. On the flip side, I'll be honest, I'm not a fan of Emma Frost turning into the diamonds. It looks really dated, doesn't it? It does not work. <sighs> I don't know about dated. You just can't. Dated? It looks hokey. She's an old diamond? Yeah, right. It's an old diamond. <laughs> oh, no. Maybe she's more valuable. Oh, gosh. In that old, the old diamond. You can't distinguish her facial expression or anything when she goes oh, that that form, but... It just doesn't look right. It looks really hokey. 
we've seen Mystique change In a her- lot more than yeah. Emma, so that might might be a part of it. I just, I just feel looking at it from a CGI standpoint, the CGI does just does not look that well. Well, maybe it was different lighting. Gosh darn it! No, because then the lighting can be edited with the uh, post production stuff. Okay. And it, again, it's CGI. There's no lighting on the CGI because that's done on a computer, Eddie. That's on a computer. Should she have been more brightly lit for being no. diamond esque instead of <sighs> instead of a grayish metallic but full of jagged sort, it did, sort of it, edges? It didn't look really like diamonds. It, yeah, like you're saying, it looked like you know. She's the living disco ball. I think uh, she's pretty, and her friend okay. is and her friend is Dazzler. Yeah, there's a girl. There's a power girl thing. Kind of. Wait a minute. Wait. Wrong universe. Holy cow! Time for the X Men to suit up. And again, who comes up with the suits? McCoy. Hank McCoy. He's really has been busy. And it's the yellow and black. And I've always liked that with these uh, outfits for them. And you know, in Dark Phoenix, they're doing the uh, Frank Quitely. Uh, yellow and black jumpsuits. And I'm fine with that. I like that, you know, design aesthetic. I think it's really cool. And the plane that they take off in, in the hangar. That's not an outfit at all. Hank designed it. Another Hank product. This is a Hank movie all the way. Too bad the actor wasn't that great. (laughs) Why didn't you not like him? He, it, I feel it reminds me a little bit of, uh, Fantastic Four, Man Four Stick, with the Ben Grimm in there, where he's just like, "Hi, I'm the thing." Jamie Bell. Yeah, it's, it's soft spoken. You ha- he shouldn't be soft spoken. And yes, I get that the the Beast is this, in you know, intellectual man. But it, I would have preferred, you know, the. It's an early version. He's going to get angry at some point. I get that, but he's going to sound the same every yeah. movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he's not the Hulk, man. Well, no, he's, he's he's not the Thing Man either. Exactly, not Hulk Man, not Thing Man. He's the Beast with extremely he's the Beast huge, Man. He, he's the Beast with it anyway. But you know, there's there's just a lot of things about that. You know, kind of bother me with that. Where it's so timid, and the Beast should not be timid. He should be. You know what? I'm blue. Screw it. I'm gonna live with this and embrace it. I might as well. It's taking him a minute to even embrace it. It's new to him. Mm. I I get that. But even from the beginning in the comics, he embraces it. And that is an instance of where the comic the comic would be much better. Yeah, and you're going to have those. So this is where that happened, came to pass. Exactly. So now it's time to uh, raise a submarine, now that they've located it with the help of Banshee. And uh, Eric hanging off the, uh, the the wheels of their plane, the, the Blackbird, I'm going to call it. And they go round and round, round and round. Yes, okay. So it's, it's submarine is out of water. And uh, Eric going into the void, as Charles has said it, where Charles can't reach him with his mind. And a good uh, interp- and good um, disguising mystique playing Shaw to distract Azazel, who, who I guess is just the red or the darker version of Nightcrawler, because yeah, they can both uh, transport they, like, Maybe? Well, in their power and oh. with their tail. Now, Eddie, you right. mentioned with the whole scene of bringing the submarine up, I... I think it was coming out of the water, right? Correct. What I would have loved to have seen, like, let's say that in regards to this movie, studio rights are not a problem. If you were to do this movie at Marvel Studios, do you realize who could be incorporated into these scenes? The original mutant himself. You know who I'm talking about. Uh, um, no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, oh, Josh. Not Josh. Josh. Dang it. <laughs> 
He's uh, underwater. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Submariner. Yeah. Namor. I feel if they were to do an X-Men first class, when they relaunch everything with the MCU, because as they were saying, Dark Phoenix is the farewell to this franchise, you know, in this iteration, I think bringing Namor in into the X-Men would be a great decision. Maybe. I can't. You you could have people arguing saying, no, that's not right because that fish man was, was connected to the Fantastic Four originally because they found him as a bum. And no, they sh- he was and technically connected to the original Human Torch, Eddie. The original Human Torch, really original. Yes, exactly. Yeah, 1939, 80 yeah. years of Marvel, baby. And then, then when you know he, he was uh, landlocked or whatever, he, out of fish, out of water kind of thing. He Literally. Grew, he had grew, grown the beard in an, an early FF issue, uh, Torch... Precision burned with his finger or his beard off and said, it's Namor. I believe that was Fantastic Four number three or four. Oh, I'm, four. I, I thought four for some odd I reason. think it's four. Okay. I think it's a fishy four. Fishy <laughs> four. Because number two is the scrolls. Number uh, five is Doctor, Doctor Doom. Doom. Number one is Mole Man. Yes. And the origin. Yes, indeed. Again. This is also true. This is also true. This is one of my favorite things about talking about comics with Eddie is that I can say a number and he will know the number that I'm talking about. Mostly. You won't get that from me. Eddie. This is a good line. This is also true. You won't get that from me. That's good. And don't tell me how to live my life. I like this. He stole that from me. I know. It's okay. New New Mutants 98. Who's that, Eddie? Deadpool. There we go. And who else? Uh, Shatterstar. Nope. No. All right. Give me one. Domino. You got that. Okay. And Gideon. But no and one's Gideon, gonna, yes. No one's yes. really going to say Gideon. Come on. All right, Josh. Did. Yeah. I, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready for my question. So ready. Right. Ding, 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 ding. X-Men number one. <laughs> the way it all began. Wait, exactly. What is the question in terms of? Yes. What, who's what in it? What was on the cover? Who was in it? Yeah, that kind of thing. What X-Men characters are we introduced one? to the what first time? What characters are we introduced to in X-Men number one? I'm going to have to say X-Men. Frosty the Snowman. Wait, what do I win? Uh, I like Peter's, Peter's undying applause, I guess. <laughs> we have Bobby Drake, the Iceman, in snowman form. and More, Bobby, of, a puff, more of a puffy cloud looking, with boots. Bobby, I'm surprised, is not in this movie. I think Bobby would have been great to <sighs> interact with. If You have to have the stuff with Emma Frost. Come on. Come on, yeah, Frost, Frost the nice, uh, this guy over here. Hey. That was stupid. It's the other Shit kind of ice. Out. Well, it's the other kind of ice. It's the one that melts. It's a form of water that's in cold its solid, ice. solid Vanilla form. ice, ice, baby. Wow, we just went from foreigner to vanilla ice. <laughs> it's a different song. It goes dum, 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 da, 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 da. Correct. <laughs> and, and, and sampling under pressure. Good Lord, that man's career. So, you know. The, you ever hear the new metal version of Ice Ice Baby? It's one of the funniest songs you'll ever hear in from your life. From who? Vanilla Ice. From he Vanilla re- Ice? He reinvented okay. himself in 1998. Why do I know this? God only knows. Because when you saw it, all of a sudden it's stuck into permanent memory and you can't unsee it. Yeah, pretty much. I think that's what it is. So, yeah. You want to sing the Beach Boys with me, Eddie? A Beach Baby? No. Oh. Which is a different song altogether. All right, so Shaw's got his helmet and it gets removed. With the help of Eric, and Charles is able to freeze Shaw, and then Eric takes over the helmet. Uh, so now we're getting to, you know, some real real drama here by counting to three, moving the coin through Shaw's head. And I think it was a great parallel photo shooting that as the coin is moving through Shaw's head, Charles 
fingers planted on the temple of his brain is feeling the pain that is happening because he's in Shaw's head. I'll be honest, when you said the sense of Charles' fingers, I was really worried the rest of the sentence would end differently. Thanks. <laughs> you have no trust in him. This is not PG-13, evidently. Uh, and okay, so we have one dead Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. All right, you get one dead Shaw. That's exactly right. You're not limited. You can't get any more dead Shaws over here. Let's get back to the missile attack. <laughs> one per customer. Because the U.S. and the Soviets are both bombing this Cuba territory that all these characters who are fighting each other are on. But Eric, in control, stops the missiles in midair, turning them back, and here's the, Char- the Charles and Eric fight, distracting, missiles blowing up, and air- more... Shoots at Eric, and a bullet deflects. This is a defining moment, as I say, into Charles' hip. And uh, Eric saying, we're brothers, we want the same thing. Charles says, I'm sorry, my friend, but we do not. And this, uh, you know, like I said, defining moment. Uh, Eric asks them, who's with me, Raven? And tells Beast, never forget, mutant and proud. I think that's the last time you hear that line. But back up a second. I had mentioned Azazel, and I don't recall him being in a comic book, Hellfire Club. Is he a character just for the movie, do you think? Do you recall? Which character again? Azazel, the Red Devil. (laughs) Now I want to see. So let me, I'm actually going to do a quick uh, search. Josh, entertain the audience. Okay. Do you want to hear a great joke? Um, Or mediocre one, if you got Uh, it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's got those. Oh, God, Just just one. A Mickey-Oki? Were you going to go Mickey-Oki? Mickey Oki. What's a Mickey Oki? I don't know. Sounds like a drink that I don't want Azrael have. was, in fact, from a Marvel comic, so you don't need to disappoint the audience. Okay, Josh. there we go. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Next. And he made his first appearance in Uncanny X-Men number 428 in October 23, uh, 2003. It's definitely on my list. Okay. But my defining moment comes after this, of course, when they all bamf away and realize that Charles can't move, and he says, I can't feel my legs three times and I think part of the music that comes in also almost as long as there's no other distraction and I'm watching this and this part of the movie I at least internally well up because this is how we find out how his paralysis comes in and why he's in the wheelchair and like I was saying it's very impactful yeah that's why I'm welling up in my eyeballs you know or or drawing in a a, a breath that I'm about to sob. And that's a great thing about these kind of movies where you do something like that and it causes that emotional reaction. It resonates with someone like that. That's good screenwriting. That's good filmmaking. Yeah, and it's not because you can relate to that experience happening to someone that you know or yourself, but you know you you have that piece and they, they delivered what they wanted to do by making this scene. And it had like, you know, you said the impact that it did. And again, the reason also you react to that so strongly, you know, with, to the point of welling up, you are so invested in these characters. And when you see something like that happen to somebody, that's, again, great writing. And that, you know, I've had that with various characters, you know, in comics I've read, in movies I've watched, television shows I've watched. And again, good writing. So we go to the end. And we have Xavier in the wheelchair, not so coincidentally, the, the, not spokes, but the internal part of the wheels of the wheelchair forms an X, Mora pushing Charles in front of 
the large edifice, which will be, of course, the mansion that is the school for gifted youngsters, or at least we're led to believe that. But it's a good, I think, transition. And yeah, when Peter said earlier about, uh, I suppose I am a real professor now, aren't I? Next thing you know, I'll be going bald. Um, and the the whole interchange there, what's the government say? Uh, still G-men, just without the G, and more coins. You're better than them now. X-men. What are we, some kind of X-men? And now doesn't Charles kind of brainwash or blank out part of Mora's mind so she doesn't remember part of what had happened because she goes back to, you know, the government, the the, the all-male all characters at the uh, table and says she just remembers these little bits and pieces, and that's, and that's about it. Right. And then finally, uh, Emma Frost is freed from the CIA basement, of which they, above ground, Mora and those guys were talking, and it's Magneto coming in with the others in the Hellfire Club. And she says, uh, Eric, I believe, and I prefer Magneto. And then you hear, da da it's but he's also got a new he's also got a new and upgraded helmet and when you look at the magneto costume it's a costume that you in the comics and the television you know the animated series it should not look as cool on screen as it does on screen (laughs) it's such it's such a dorky costume when you really think about it in the comic book it is it's a flat red color cape and helmet and you know waves coming out of his brain that he's moving things magnetically and but eddie even in the comics, it still does look kind of cool. The in color the, very early. Mm, I, I think so. I think it's a cool looking costume, and the color scheme helps out with it because you know you go with purple, especially because mm-hmm. of villains, and it's it's just really cool. And I I feel that's an example of a comic book outfit that should not translate to the big screen, but does. You know. Oh, there's no rules on that. Should no, not translate. No, because there are there are outfits in comic books and in you know animated series and everything that when you see them adapted to the big screen, you're just like, that looks really stupid. Like my go-to <laughs> is Harley Quinn with the Harlequin outfit in the animated series. They bring it over to the big screen for Suicide Squad, and they you see it in the flashback scene where they do an homage to Alex Ross's painting of Joker holding Harley. It does not translate well. It looks hokey. It yeah. looks cheesy. And that's why you have to have reinventions, like the daddy's little monster outfit or whatever. Yeah. But I, I see you're disappointed, Josh. I'm so... To paraphrase the boys from We Hate Movies, it's all right to like a comic book costume. <laughs> Thank you. So, Well, just, right away when you say all that, Peter, I think of Wolverine in, what is it, X-Men 2? And saying... You snicked. Know, what do you prefer, yellow spandex? And I feel in the movies, they really wanted to... Like, you know they wanted to eventually do down the line X-Men the way we know them with the yellow spandex, with, you know, Scott with a little open thing, like the Jim Lee outfits of them. I feel like if... Different look, because, yeah, that was a reinvention in the early 90s, and okay. God, those are... Like, those are my childhood, you know? Mm -hmm. When I've seen you do your uh, Cyclops outfit... And it's the uh, the closed top. It's uh, Astonishing X-Men from okay. 2005, I want to say. Sounds the about Joss right. Sweden run. Yeah, in that, in that area. But yeah. it's that costume, and you see that, and you're just like, wow. That's this version. But for me, my, my Cyclops, my Scott Summers, Scott Slim Summers, 
is the guy who has the open top where you see the brown hair coming out. And you've got the yellow and blue. Yeah, yeah, just like Gene Grazes. Yes, right, right. And I feel with Dark Phoenix, if they were going to do movies after that, which that's what we're saying right now, if they could. We don't know. Maybe it will. You never know. But when you hear Disney executives say the send-off, kind of going to have to say that. But um, I just feel I love that. I love the idea of those costumes. And when I got that Cyclops costume, I don't think I realized what time period it was from. I think it was the first I had seen a Cyclops costume. And I said, yeah, okay, that, that works. I'll go with that. Right. And two hours and 12 minutes, there's your total movie time. I Every, love this movie. I, um, I think I really liked it more so or... It resonated more with me. I, I got more out of it or reinforced what I already knew about it. Plus, I had also recently seen at a Comic-Con the Mystique character in a, in a costume, too, and that was cool. Shout out to Sapphire Nova, Superheroes Unlimited. Thank you very much. So now, overall with the movie, I feel like it was a perfect reinvention of the characters, a solid story that makes you enjoy the lesser X-Men. Like, when you see characters like Darwin, which I'm not sure, again, if he is, in fact... I'm, again... That will be a Google search right now. It did not last long, so maybe not even have to do the lookup. Right, but I still think, I'm wondering if the character was originally in the comics or if he was created for this. I imagine he was not created for this. Were you looking something up? Yes, I am. Do you want me to tell a quick dad joke? No. It probably isn't going to work. Oh, man. Meaning he'll he'll find it fast. (laughs) X-Men Deadly (sighs) Genesis number two, Darwin. Armando Munoz. Munoz. That was a recent... uh, Kind of recent. That was uh, the Ed Brubaker run, X-Men Deadly Genesis. Okay. And, yeah. So, So wait, what came first? The chicken or the egg? The character in Deadly Genesis. That was 2005. Okay. Because this movie came out in 2011. 2011. Yes, yes, I got that part. So, anyway, this is a movie that's very solid with its storytelling. It makes you enjoy these characters. And, like I said... This is a movie that makes me want to read more X-Men. This makes me want to enjoy the characters more. This makes me want to consume as much X-Men content as humanly possible. And even early X-Men. I wonder if they have a cereal. Stop that. I mean the kind that you have for breakfast. For me, for me, early X-Men is a snooze fest. And I love Stan. I love Jack. But let's be honest. Those are stories that if you have the ability to read early X-Men or the Chris Claremont stuff, you're going to go with Claremont any day of the week, you know? The day that ends in Y, of course. Exactly. But I feel this movie blows those interpretations out of the water. And overall, this movie, four and a half out of five. Mm-hmm. I'm probably right there with you. Yeah, it's because it's not perfect, but it's really damn good. Yes, it is. I agree. Josh, your take? You have to, if you have to give it a numerical configuration, three point five. Three point really? Okay. Why? 3. 5. I thought it was good. Where did it not? Yeah, where did it not land? Uh, or did where you did think it not land? Or maybe that you hope it could have been better at? I feel like you could have explained some of the background stories a little bit more of the individuals. Like, um, yeah, Magneto. I would have liked to know what happened in between the concentration camp. He was stewing into... with resentment. That's what he was doing. No, he was flipping a coin 20 years <laughs> <laughs> And I've always just wanted to know exactly well, what then, he was Well, then doing. you'd see that's what happened then. Mm-hmm. In those 18 or so years, he was you, you know, stewing, yeah. not, not being a cook in the, in the kitchen or anything like that, but he was 
brooding all this time as to when he would exact his revenge. He was utilizing, discovering, harnessing, and honing his, his ability. And he did well for himself. He has an apartment. He's yes. got clothes. He's got that quarter still. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that gold bar. Right. right. So, yeah. yeah, he could travel to Argentina and track down his creator. So he's not all bad. He didn't, like, give in. He's just drawn that way. Yeah, very much so. Uh, I got that joke. Jessica Rabbit. That's, that's Thank you for that. explaining to the audience at home, Josh. Very yeah. pretty. <laughs> that's it, I think. I think we've got that covered pretty good. But yeah, just solid movie. And next week's episode is going to be X-Men Days of Future Past. I'm going to be watching the Rogue Cut, which adds more Rogue to the movie. Eddie, I believe you're going to be watching the regular one. Most I likely. believe that's what I have, yes. I'm going to be sleeping. And yeah. Wow. I unfortunately won't be in that one. You'll have watched it or need, or have watched it. Um, oh, I, I, did, I watched I, it actually the other night. Did you really? Oh, there we Okay. <sighs> Right after first class. And it's like, such oh. a solid movie. and Solid. Solid as a rock. Wow. Ashford and Simpson, 1985. Rock. Steady. The Whispers, 1980, I think. It is. Okay. But anyway, before we go, go, go we want to tell y'all at home, we love you. Thank you for listening. Uh, God bless. So sentimental. For The Marvelist, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Josh Rosencrant. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior! It's time for Obsessed with Marvel in the beginning of X-Month. We go to question number 912, which reads, Which Eternals have been members of the Avengers? Ooh, is it be a good one. Cersei? Is it Gilgamesh and Cersei? The Forgotten One? Or Makari and Cersei? Which Eternals have been members of the Avengers? Cersei? Gilgamesh and Cersei? The Forgotten One? Or Makari and Cersei? Gilgamesh and Cersei are my favorite playwrights of all time. Playwrights? I'm uh, really shooting in the dark if if this is all... Yeah. The forgotten one sounds like. Do you think so? I feel like it's the only one without the other four. It's the only one without Cersei in it, that's for right. sure. <laughs> yes, so I, you know. That's what I'm going with. <laughs> you know what? Let's try Josh's answer and go with C, the forgotten one. No. Oh, I damn it, answer. damn it, damn it. It's Gilgamesh and Cersei. See, my favorite playwrights were the right answer. They have been are members really of the afraid? Avengers. Those are real playwrights. You know, if I really, really thought of it, but but this is a late recording, so I'm trying to slow in the brain, and I don't mean to blame it on the sleep, but uh, yeah. Blame it on the rain, Eddie. Gilgamesh and Cersei, and I think that was part of the run in the 80s blame it on that the uh, these characters appeared. You ignore me. So my, I think I have no excuse. You ignore me. Millie Vanilli. Reference. Oh, thank you, Eddie. Blame it on the rain. Yeah, yeah. Alcohol. Blame it on the booze. Okay, 1184. The question is, who is responsible for the Mutant Registration Act? I think I know this one. We may have this one. Senator Robert Kelly. Dr. Bolivar Trask. Senator Harrington Byrd. Or Graydon Creed. I believe it's... um, Robert Kelly. I believe it's Robert Kelly. I want to say it's Trask, but Trask is responsible for the Sentinels, so that might be my... Right. Mutant Registration Act. Again, Senator Robert Kelly, Dr. Bolivar Trask, Senator Harrington Byrd, 
or great in creed. And I think the consensus is going to be Senator Robert Kelly. Yeah. So, yes, oh we have that right. I love that sound. <laughs> I love it when a plan it comes together. doesn't happen all that often, unfortunately. But here we go to the beginning of the book, it looks like. Blame it on the... <laughs> question one five five third and final question for this episode. 155 reads, When was Franklin Richards born? Oh, is it... And he's a mutant, so we can talk about him. Yeah. Is it Fantastic Four Special Annual Number 4 from 1966? Fantastic Four Special Annual Number 5 from 1967? No. Fantastic Four Special Annual Number 6, 1968? Or Fantastic Four Number 100 from 1970? I want to say num- uh, the last one. When because- was Fantastic? When was Reed- Franklin Richards born? I am tired. When was Franklin Richards born? So it's either 66, 67, 68, or 70, but uh, Fantastic saying- Four Special Annual, number four, number five, number six, or Fantastic Four, number 100. But here's the thing I don't think Franklin Richards was a Jack Kirby Stanley creation. Ugh. Mm, this is the time period of yeah, them. Yeah, I know. No. That's so. It's gonna have to be have, one of these answers. I mean, I would I, assume it's number one hundred. You're saying one hundred? Yeah. Now, the other thing too, I don't know if you could also say Franklin Richard Richards' first appearance would yeah. be the same answer. Josh, it's a hard one. I'm gonna go with C. You're, out in the dark. You're, you're going with special annual number. Now that's that's confusing to me because a yeah. special and an annual to me are two different things. I think a and, 100 would be you end up debuting a new character and yeah. it's a big deal for. Yeah, the I don't have that issue, so it, it's not ringing a bell. Uh, but maybe we can if we say it's letter D. Let's see. No, it's not. It is C. Josh, how'd you do it? Fantastic Four special annual number six in 1968. I R- Franklin Richards was born. I just believe. Well done. Thank you.